Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a stand-up writer and performer. He is currently a writer on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah and has been featured on Kevin Hart's Heart of the City. He was named one of Comedy Central's Comics to Watch in 2015 and one of the Just for Laugh Festival's New Faces in 2016. He is a former writer and performer on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, where he also made his late-night stand-up debut in 2017. As a stand-up, he has performed at clubs, colleges, and festivals around the world. On screen, he has appeared on Conan, Midnight with Chris Hardwick, Hardwick, and in 2017, he released his Comedy Central half-hour special album, I Like You. He is creator and star of the web series Genies, which was released on Comedy Central in 2018. His stand-up special as part of the comedy lineup was released on Netflix in 2018. He is currently on the road with Trevor Noah as a part of the Loud and Clear Tour. Welcome to the show, Josh Johnson. Hey, how's it going? What's up, man? Not too much, you know, just trying to beat the heat in New York, just in my, in my apartment next to the window unit. Yeah, I hear you, dude. Well, you know, I, I had a chance to listen to your I Like You album today. Um, we were talking mm. a little bit before the show. I Unfortunately, I was listening to play by play, and I didn't get to the, the Dr. Phil part. But, um, man, it was, it was super hilarious. Um, oh, I also you. watched your stand-up on, on uh, Jimmy Fallon as well, and, and, and so good. But, you know, I got reached out by your agent, I think. And I was like, you know, mm. why does this guy want to come on like a, a – personal development spirituality show but we had a really great chat to get to know each other and uh you know i really like what you're about and i think that comedy has such an important place in the world first of all just everywhere and especially in spirituality and personal development i think it's a space where people can be real uptight you know and, yeah. and pious if you will so um i enjoyed your take on it so why don't you give the audience um that might not be familiar with your work just uh, let them know a little bit more about yourself uh, yeah. I mean, if they are not familiar, that is totally fair. Um, I am <laughs> definitely not a big deal as it is right now. Uh, I, I grew up in Louisiana, actually. And I started comedy in Chicago, and that's where I really developed a lot of, like, my opinions and takes on comedy and, and on, like, the world in general. Like, New York's been a great place to sort of, um, like, hone the skills and, and learn how to connect with people even better. But for the most part, Chicago was where I like became a comedian. It's the first place that I really started doing stand up. It's the first place that I like started molding ideas and learning how to write and everything. Um, and then, you know, I, I just want to make people happy. And the only way that I know how to do that is comedy. Like if I were smarter, I'd be a doctor, but like, I'm, it, it's, it's really not in the cards in terms of like blood and like, any anything that looks a bit gross i can't handle and uh needles like i would throw up trying to give someone blood i much less like take blood for a test you know and then even with law i like i think lawyers have amazing minds and everything and and like i've thought about when i was in college doing criminal justice and everything but like the level to which you have to both read and remember is is like i I didn't even finish the Harry Potter books. Like, I honestly don't know what happens. So, like, I would be a terrible lawyer for anyone. I would, I would not help in any way. And so I think that in a weird way, the only thing I ended up being really good at was this thing that, like, only serves to make people happy, hopefully, you know? Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, it seems like uh, you are stuck with one career choice, and I guess the world is a better place for it because it sounds like if you were a doctor, you weren't you wouldn't be a very good one. No, <laughs> no, I would I would be doing damage. I would yeah. only be causing harm. Yeah. Um. So you know, like when we were having the chat before, um, you know, what's your view on like uh, spirituality? Like the Tao of spirituality is one word that you used, or um, just like the Zen practice of comedy. Cause I actually have a, a cousin who has been doing, um, improv in Quebec for like eight years. And he's actually going to save really? up all of his money and film his own show. Cause it's, it's, he's done like web series and things like that. But we get into a lot of great discussions around just like how comedy is, is like 
be, doing standup is such a challenging thing. Writing good jokes is such a challenging thing. And being able to like go out there and perform in itself is, is definitely a level of mastery that I respect just from, uh, from a performance level and just also comedy, especially because you're hoping they laugh but they might not. And that's a scary proposition to be up there um, putting yourself through that. So maybe you can speak on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you hope they laugh and like, honestly, they, they when you're starting out, they probably won't like that. Like that's the <laughs> worst part about trying to get good is that it's like, you are bad. Like you need, and, and it's one of those things that I think some people have started. Some people who are still very young in comedy start trying to either usurp or sidestep the things that you have to do to be good. And then they just sort of find their niche and they stay in there because all those people don't necessarily need them to be any better. They just like what they're putting out, like the style or a vibe or something. But I think that the real challenge is to try to make the most people laugh at one time as possible. And not saying that if you can't do that, you're not a good comedian or you're not a comedian or anything. Some people are just gonna do well with their group or with their clique or whatever but if you're really striving to be the type of comedian that can either be um like remembered or more often show to someone to cheer someone else up you're gonna have to find that line and that road that is the most people at one time laughing at the idea that you have and i think there's a sort of like if you let it there is a sort of like zen to that practice in terms of like, I know that I don't always live by this because I stress out a lot about jokes, about how they'll be received, about if people will understand what I'm saying. Uh, but once you let go of that thing and you just rest with the intention and with the idea that you think is funny, because the, the crazy thing about, the thing that's hard for a lot of comedians to accept is that anybody can actually be funny. It's a real, like shot to our ego but like as much as we work to be funny anybody can actually be funny depending on the circumstance and for how long they need to be funny you know and not everyone can perfectly execute their ideas not everyone can do public speaking not so the other elements of what makes stand-up improv sketch comedy live comedy or taped comedy that's going to be shown later the things that make that difficult are actually what people are getting good at because most people say are actually funny. It's just learning how to craft that thing to be funny at this specific time for this specific reason in front of these people and being able to turn it on as opposed to um, just living in it. Uh, I think there's a Zen practice in knowing, I think this is funny and that's enough for me. I'm going to share it. And if it's received, great. If it's not, I understand. And I feel like when you're in that mode, it's actually harder to bomb because people buy a ticket to hang out with you. They're not just like, I don't know, maybe for like super amazing comedians like Chappelle and Rock and, you know, like Carlin when he was alive, maybe they go for this experience of like, I want to hear this insane joke, whatever but they don't know what you're gonna talk about even when you do buy a ticket for these big name acts. They just wanna see that person. They just wanna hang out with you. Knowing that they wanna hang out with you, you need to make the time that they're hanging out with you worthwhile. And you do that through sharing your ideas and um, communicating them in a way that you hope is funny, you think is funny, and hopefully they will too. And then you, you let it go, you know? Yeah, man. Well, you know, as you're talking, I kind of was getting all these references that I'm, I'm curious and I want you to speak about. I think overall, one of the most powerful things that you can do is face the fear of failure. I think so many people are, are terrified of failure. And I listened to Kevin Hart on Joe Rogan and just listening to his work ethic and how he would create a set and how long that would take him going from club to club to club to refine it to finally have his, you know, 90 minute show was show just absolutely incredible work ethic so the question i want to ask you is like what do you suggest for people to overcome the fear of failure like you're doing it to the maximum level like you know everyone's worst nightmare that's what you're willing to go through and you've achieved you know 
by any standard, pretty incredible success being, you know, on late night television, touring around, doing comedy, being able to make a life, doing what you love, uh, making people happy and then continue to grow. So what have you learned around uh, just doing what it takes to become successful and overcome the fear of failure? I mean, you like, and I don't say this in a negative way. I just say it as an inevitability. You're going to fail no matter what. So I did a lot of failing even to get where I am now. Like, I, like, like truly, and I'm sure we'll have time for it. I can tell you about some bombs. Like, I can tell you yeah. about some, like, yeah. just some tell us your worst. Shows. Tell us your worst one. <laughs> <That's> the, <laughs> honestly, okay, one of the worst ones I've ever had was um, in New Orleans. I was doing this comedy festival. And like I said, I, I was born and raised in Louisiana. So, like, it was this almost, like, coming home party for me because – I was only a year, almost two years into stand-up, so I wasn't that good. So I didn't know how to deal with a lot of situations. Like, like if you heckled me, I probably froze. Like, I, you know, I wasn't that seasoned yet. And so I go back and I do this festival, and the festival in and of itself is like pretty bad. But there was this night that was like the absolute worst, where I was doing a show and I had seen two different lists the list at the tech booth and the list that the host had that said I was first. And then I get bumped and that's fine. I don't care about being bumped later on. The person bumping me might be funnier than me. They might be whatever, it doesn't matter, right? But it was this local person and they proceeded to bomb so bad that they walked half the room. So half the room left like complete and, and they didn't come back in like completely gone, right? And then I go up and I do what I think is like the comic thing to do of like roast him a little bit. Like he walked half the room. There's no discussing whether or not he did poorly, you know? <laughs> so then I, I did like, and it wasn't even like super mean because I'm not really like a mean guy. So like I did like a light roasting. Like I don't even remember what I said, but basically everyone who stayed in the room were his friends. So then I bombed twice as hard as he did <laughs> i wish they would have walked out they they all stayed and it was terrible <laughs> but uh, i mean you're gonna you're gonna have that and you're gonna fail no matter what and honestly not doing the thing you want to do for feel of failure is a failure because because if you just do the thing and you try it and you don't like it or you don't do well with it or it would take too much hard work to get good at then like at least you know you know and now you're not left wondering that wondering has got to be one of the worst feelings. Like I try to never have that feeling, you know, like, like I've, I've delved into things deep enough now that I know my level of commitment to the things that I like and what's going to be a hobby versus what can be a career or what can expand my career or the things I enjoy doing. Like when I was little, I, I was really into magic and I was like getting pretty good at it. And at a certain age, the level of mastery that was required with like, um, with sleight of hand, with planning, with like orchestrating a, an entire act. I didn't have enough of a love for magic to keep doing that. So I was honest with myself and I like quit doing it, you know? And I don't think quitting is always a bad thing, but I think that level of honesty that you can have with yourself is, is paramount to your development, you know? Yeah, man, you brought up a, a ton of amazing points, and thanks for sharing your your biggest failure. That's <laughs> it's all his buddies just waiting there to heckle and throw tomatoes at you. That'd be well, awful. It was bad. It was so bad. And the only uh, one that I've done that was worse than that, I did a a <laughs> show for the, I think it was like the Cattlers, like Cattle Ranchers Association in Iowa, and like I got the gig from a friend. And so we just co-headlined it and I get there and I'm not only like the only black person, I think I might also be like their third black person. And so everyone was so like confused by why I was there that like, I think I got three chuckles the entire time and everyone else was kind of like, this is weird, right? And like, I didn't know enough about comedy at the time to like fully address how weird it was. Like, I'm sure if I had brought it up, I they would have warmed up to me and everything, but I just sort of like did my jokes, stared at them. They stared at me and then I left and it's like, <laughs> Oh, 
exactly how a show is supposed to go. Just a, just a mutual staring contest. I love Mitch Hedberg and like one of his jokes is like, uh, why is everybody staring at me? It seems like I'm facing the wrong way. And he just yeah. had like this brilliant dry comedy that was so good. Um, but you brought up a lot of really important points there and like just failure is inevitable. It's something that I learned through sport and skateboarding. It's like a part of the process, but the bigger point that I think you made is that you got to love it enough. You've got to be like so many people, they'll actually be hard on themselves for failing, but they don't love the thing enough to put in the work to be willing to fail over and over again. And if you can find something that you're willing to fail forever about, that's probably the thing because you love it that much. And it's going to take that to get to that level of success where you can do, you know, you can make a living and, um, you know, do it quote unquote successfully, whatever your standards are. So I, w I want to ask you though, do you remember the first point where you knew that you wanted to do comedy for a living? And do you remember your first joke? Um, I think I, cause even when I moved to Chicago, I wasn't sure if I could make it a job. I think it was like when I finally started getting booked on showcases in Chicago, which were like, reserved for more seasoned people and people who were like you knew people would show up if you booked that person people would come see them sort of thing when I saw that that's when I was like oh okay I need to make this my job because I love doing it and I can make a little bit of money I wasn't sure how much money I could make but like I was working at a grocery store anyway so I was like money's taken care of so like I might as well do this every night and and like then the money started to come to the point where I could do it full time. But uh, my first joke, I feel like I did, I'm going to butcher it because I haven't done it in so long. But basically, it was about how my family had just installed an alarm system at our house because we lived in a bad neighborhood. And we know that it works because someone broke in and then two days later, the police showed up. <laughs> and like maybe there was more but maybe there wasn't and I remember like but but jokes like that were why I was bombing because I wasn't sure where the joke ended so then no one else was either you know so you're just sitting with like an idea but not yep yeah man that's awesome well I I was thinking there when you're talking about um I keep oh hold on one second my internet keeps getting unstable all right. Got me? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Um, you know, my mom with you is interesting because I haven't, I haven't uh, interviewed any straight-up comedians. Like, that's your job, which I think is amazing. And that profession in itself, I have a lot of respect for just because of, you know, listening to my cousin and what he goes through doing um, improv and, and writing and, and being on shows and achieving, like, a level of success uh, without being on stage. But it, it's a little bit different. It's a, an absolutely a tremendous amount of work and so what I'm curious about is like why do you think it's important or how do you, would you invite people to invite comedy into their lives to like improve their lives because I have some buddies that are naturally hilarious and they're way more fun to be around like two of them you can't say two sentences in a row before they're gonna say something absolutely ridiculous so I'm just mm -hmm. curious um from a comedian standpoint, like why do you think that humor in general is important? Like where should we use it? Uh, how can we use it? Um, just your thoughts in comedy in life in general. Yeah, I think that you can't really um, have joy without humor. Like there's, there's, a, there's a certain level of humor where even if you're not going to stand up shows or you're not a comic and you're not trying to like write jokes every day, there's something about jokes, about, um, finding humor in things whether they're more taboo things or just like everyday mundane things that that really brighten up your experience as a being so for instance they, they did a study and they showed that like babies smile like seven times more than adults you know like like just any baby like either you smile at the baby or the baby smiles or the baby's playing with something like now, don't get me wrong, they have more time in a day to smile because they're not doing anything that will require them not to smile. But even in that, even in like the, the, the sort of soul food that is humor is like absolutely imperative that person 
have some of that in their life in whatever form that it takes. So for instance, like if you're doing something that you love, you're actually going to have more humor in your life. Not even necessarily saying you have to make it your job, but let's say you love air hockey, right? Like let's say air hockey is like your thing. After work, you love hang out with your friends and playing air hockey. The jokes and like the bits that come from you all hanging out, doing a thing that you all mutually love is the humor that you need in life. And I'm not, and I don't know if a person needs more than that. You know, you got to find joy in a thing and then the humor sort of comes. Like I, uh, I started doing jujitsu um, a few months ago. Oh yeah, and right on. when I started doing it, I found that I wasn't really part of the group yet because there were so many inside jokes and everyone was always sort of laughing and I just didn't get what the thing was, you know? And the joy that they all had doing it made me want to come to class more, made me want to be a part of the group and everything. Because as, as beings, we seek community and, and humor is manifested in community. Like, obviously you could be reading a book or watching a movie and find something very funny sitting by yourself. But there's something about having a conversation with another person, having um, plans with other people that then leads to the safety that you feel to engage in humor, you know, because humor is also a bit of vulnerability. I think the vulnerability is important when you're moving through the world and you're trying to make relationships and, and not just be this, uh, this like, voice screaming in the darkness you know <laughs> yeah man you know you touched on a lot of really great points there again and the one thing that i liked is just talking about like the joy in life and i think it's perspective you know they've done so many studies on on the correlation between wealth and happiness and it shows that it's not necessarily more money that makes you happy it's like a perspective like somebody i know some people that you know no matter what their circumstance is mm -hmm they are joyful and they're always cracking jokes and they're looking for the best in whatever situation that is. And I think that's such a beautiful and empowering lens to navigate your life with. It's much more empowering. Um, then on the other side, everything is, is very uh, serious, you know, and this, this happens in the spirituality space. It happens in like the self-help space too. It's just like, you know, I'm going to wake up and it's going to be kale salad, a thousand sit-ups, um, you know what I mean? Then my affirmations and then I'm going to visualize and then I'm going to do the Wim Hof thing and then they just check off their list and it's so serious. And I've definitely been guilty of that, like trying to go into robot mode, but like humor is just something else and joy is something else. It's like emotion we feel that what makes us uh, human and that's what makes life fun. It's, it's like these um, random events in a, in a funny way to see things, you know what I mean? Just to, to add joy. And I think that the uh, that perspective is important and i'm curious if you have any insights on like how you could empower people with a, a little bit more joyous perspective or even like a comedic um perspective like can you talk a little about like how you craft a joke or what makes a, a good joke or any anything that i just rambled there yeah no i think that you can even no matter who is like watching slash listening i think that one way that you can very easily incorporate more humor into your life day to day is like it seems very obvious and it's gonna sound silly to say but not taking the very serious things as, as serious as they could be is gonna lend itself to humor one of the reasons that we fight humor and we and we try to hold some subjects and topics sacred is because they're important to us and that importance feels diminished if we're laughing at it because laughing is usually sort of associated with ridicule and not with joy, you know? So someone who is very pious uh, about their religion or very dedicated in their discipline to a certain thing will not necessarily find jokes about the thing that they've held up on a pedestal funny, but it's those jokes that you need to keep you light and loving the, the thing that you feel so passionately about, you know? So like, I think that, for instance, I am trying to do a better job of loving myself, right? And in loving myself, I could take myself very seriously and have a, a, a heightened respect for myself because it's like, look, I'm trying to like 
learn martial arts so I can defend myself. I'm trying to work out so I can look better and be healthier. I'm trying to eat the right thing so I can live long. Like I'm putting a lot of work into myself. So then if someone makes fun of me, I could take it very personally. They're attacking the discipline. They're attacking the character. They're attacking like my uh, like soul to a certain degree. And then I could lash out or I could be like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Something about me is goofy. Maybe it's my hair. Maybe it's the fact that I'm doing all this working out to just hopefully get old and not be able to work out anymore. Maybe it's the fact that like, yes, I take myself very seriously, but then like, you know, my knee clicks in my sleep. Like, like there are goofy things about every particular topic that you could hold dear. And I think addressing that actually reveals more of what the subject is to you. Like, for instance, um, I grew up in a very like Christian household and there were some questions about God, about the Bible, about religion that you could tell weren't um, readily um, accepted, you know? And they weren't accepted because it, it tested the faith. And by testing the faith, you're hurting my faith, but testing faith should actually make the faith stronger, you know? And so joking about things that um, you don't necessarily find funny actually stretches the muscles in the brain to think about things a different way and to find deeper understanding. I'm not saying you have to laugh at every joke, but it helps you think, you know? Jokes make you think because someone thought about something in a different way and tried to make it funny. And whether or not you think it's funny, it is a way to think about it because someone came to that conclusion, you know? So I think that by really trying to find the humor and things, what about what you believe is silly? Because there's gonna be something, you know? Like, like it, I find a lot in, when we talk about spirituality and different religions and everything, that a, uh, a person of a certain religion can laugh all day about someone else's religion and how goofy and ridiculous it is because it's not what they believe. But then when it's their turn or when it's turned on them, the, the same lens, they get a bit defensive, but we're all susceptible to the same uh, sort of like, like uh, mental pitfalls, I guess you could call them, or like, or like philosophical fallacies, you know? Like, like the same things that I hate when people argue because they're bad faith arguments, I have made before. And so the same jokes that I might not find funny, I've definitely laughed at a joke that you could plug in and would have all the same factors before, you know? So I, I, I think that, through, through opening yourself up that maybe some of the things that you hold very, very dear could actually be humorous. I think that that, because that it's only um, uphill from there. Because if you laughed at the thing you hold most serious, then of course you can laugh at this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. And as the levels of, uh, of severity decrease, now things are becoming funnier and funnier and funnier, or they're lighter. They're not as, as heavy subjects to talk about because it's not all about jokes. Sometimes it's just about the approach, you know? Yeah, man. Well, crap. You, you shared so many amazing insights just in that one question. It is like literally the Tao of comedy because I think it's so important. And, you know, comedians are extremely intelligent. You know, there's so many amazing comedians out there like George Carlin. I recently saw uh, Jerry Seinfeld, who's hilarious and still writing amazing jokes. Um, you know, it takes a very intelligent person to be able to switch these lenses, you know, and be able to um, create and, and make light of a serious situation. And when you're talking, it reminded me of something. I was listening to this comedian. I don't know who it was. Um, maybe it was on Joe Rogan or something, but it, he was talking about like the death of his father. And I, I think this is a story. He's really sad. And he purposely, the pastor didn't know him who was doing his eulogy. He purposely wrote his name wrong and gave false information. And so as he's doing this very serious speech about his father's passing, all of his family is cracking up because he's purposefully, you know, misspelled something and threw him off to like have that joyous experience and bring light to, you know, what would be one of the most obviously challenging experiences. So, you know, the lens we view the world is extremely important. And when you're looking at from, you know, joy and also lightheartedness, it's when you take it so seriously that then you defend your character. You defend that this archetype or this thing or this being you're trying to be, you know, I am a Christian. I am, you know, strong and, you know, my body's fit. So you can't call me a wuss or whatever. This is whatever you've identified with. But if you take it 
much more lightly, it's not as much of a blow to like your ego or your identity. And uh, the number one cause of disease is stress. And we're just stressed out. But joy and humor, I remember seeing so many documentaries of people curing themselves of terminal illnesses and other illnesses. You know, it's not obviously this isn't a medical uh, note, but what I have noticed a very common theme is when people get seriously ill and, and their life is basically on the line, though, one of the suggestions is just stay lighthearted. Um, and one person would just watch comedy like all the time. And this really helped them just stay light, keep that perspective and, um, you know, let, basically just empowering and being lightheartedness because otherwise you are going to be a little bit heavier, a little bit more dense, a little bit more serious, a little bit more, um, uh, yeah, just serious. And that's something I think about on the podcast a lot because I'm talking about serious subjects and I'm so, so I'm glad you're on. I'm like, how can I, so maybe I'll just ask you that for, for me as a host talking about serious things. Sometimes, you know, the last guy I had on was a friggin' former CIA agent talking about organ harvesting, talking about, um, you know, uh, human trafficking, some frigged up sh stuff is going on in the world. And yeah. so I'm like handling dark shit. Um, and, and wanting to, you know, some stuff is serious and I don't know if I can make a joke about yeah. certain things. It's, it's obviously you shouldn't, but like, how can I deliver that information in a more um, lighthearted way? What would you recommend? It's a personal question. I don't know if I've ever asked someone a question like that. But yeah. I mean, but I think, I think there is a level of like, I don't know. I'm, this is just my thing, but like, even when you said the organ harvesting thing, it freaked me out because it's like, <laughs> I, I have like a pretty bad heart. So like, I can only imagine if you stole my heart and then you gave it to someone and then they <laughs> just couldn't, then they had asthma. Like that, like, <laughs> like I, it, it's a, it's a level of like, when you approach a thing that you know, that you know needs to be handled with care. Cause that's the other thing is that sometimes people think that by the ability to make a joke or suggest that something is humorous, you're taking away the severity or the seriousness behind it. I, I acknowledge that most things are, um, are actually serious. That doesn't mean that most things aren't ridiculous, you know? So, so there's a level of like, um, there's a level of seriousness that you can bring to everything. And if you show that you've thought it out, which is usually what comedians try to do with the premise of, of a question or a joke, they'll be like, hey, this thing happened, right? And I think as you sort of acknowledge how serious it is, but then go on this like sort of turn where you're like, but that would be crazy, right? Like, like, cause when you, when you're harvesting organs, especially illegally, you probably aren't doing background checks. You know what I mean? Like you could be stealing smokers lungs every time, just terrible <laughs> lungs that nobody would want, much less steal, but you stole them and now you have these bad lungs. And, and when you're in this conversation with this person, knowing that like for every level of seriousness, there's also this level of like some mistake happens, some, you know, some, some person is as far removed away from the thing as someone who is close to it. And by trying to bridge that spectrum of someone who maybe doesn't care at all to someone that cares the most or it happened to and respecting both those people, you can reach a, a, like a level of awareness about what is humorous, you know? There are some things that I don't joke about simply just because I haven't written the right joke for the thing, you know? And I think that n recognizing that is just as important as making jokes that do push boundaries and everything. So, I mean, for you as a host, I think you have like a, a, a really calm demeanor and you're a good listener. And I think that by listening and, you know, you, you obviously take mental note of things that are happening as you listen. So then you, you have the capacity to think about an, an answer or ask a question that can lead to maybe humor, if that makes sense. That might've, that might've just been a ramble, but I do believe that <laughs> like the way that even you've been listening to me and then you ask a question based off something I said, I think that's one of the things in a way that comedians do best because they see the world as it is. And then they sort of ask the question of like, okay, but what if this happened, you know? like it's a uh, it's something that 
does start to feel natural the more you try to do it, you know? And I, and I appreciate that there are some people that you interview where you're like, yeah, where would I fit any sort of joke or humor or break for the audience from this like very uh, gripping topic, you know? But I think, I think it's possible. I think you just have to start um, almost thinking about the things in a way that isn't as um, um, matter of fact, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, it's helpful. And one of the things I was thinking about is even just the questions that I ask, I don't really think about asking them a question that could lead to comedy, which, which, as you were saying, I wanted to ask you the next question is, what for you have been one of your favorite or most hilarious travel comedy experiences? Because again, listening to other comedians and Joe Rogan, it sounds like a little bit of the wild, wild west out there. You get, you get a whole different crowd of people all these crazy yeah. different audiences and all these different scopes of the world. Like what's been one of your favorite uh, travel show experiences? Um, so basically my favorite experience is actually going to be completely juxtaposed to my best story. Cause my best story was actually a terrible experience. <laughs> I, um, I was doing a show in Detroit and they were handling the accommodations and everything. But they, they booked me a room at this, like, Red Roof Inn, which is like, you know, it's fine. I'm not a diva or anything. But this Red Roof Inn was so genuinely terrible. It was, like, the worst hotel I've ever stayed in. It was basically Detroit inside Detroit. Like, it was, it was the scariest place because also <laughs> one of the rooms had been robbed. So there was just nothing in the room. Like, they, they had left the bed frame, but the TV was gone. The drawers were gone, but they left the actual drawer, if that makes sense. They, like, left the desk, but they stole the drawers out of the desk. And, yeah, dude, it was, it was, like, it was wild. And I only know that because they, like, left the door open and I was passing by and I was like, this has clearly been robbed, you know? And so then um, I get to my room and I put in the key card and it doesn't, it, it flashes green, but it won't open. And then I do it again, it flashed green, but it won't open. And so then I like really had to put my shoulder into it. And I basically had to like break into my own room, which is already like not a great sign. And as I open the door, I click on the light and there's nothing but like towels everywhere. Just like towels on the floor, towels on the bed, towel on the lamp, like there's nonstop towels to the point where I'm like, this is all the towels. There's no way that this hotel has more towels. So then I call downstairs and I'm like, hey, I have probably all your towels. Like, can you please either get me a clean room or like get the towels out, right? And they don't have another room. So it takes two people, two trips to get all the towels out of my room. And it was, and cause it was, it was insane. It looked like someone had tried to clean up a murder and then just quit. Yeah, well, I'd be wondering what the hell all the towels were doing in there. I can't yeah. Dude, it was like, it like especially the fact that it was like covering the floor. Like, don't get me wrong, it wasn't a big room, but still like, <laughs> I couldn't see the floor, you know? And so then they give me some fresh towels and they leave. And I open those towels and those towels are also dirty. And like, I'm not, a, I'm not the type of guy to complain. Like, I don't even yelp. I don't, I don't do any of the thing. But I call downstairs, I'm like, hey, these towels are also dirty. And then the lady at the front desk gets an attitude with me, like I'm crazy. And she's like, look, any towel we send, you're gonna have something on it. And I was like, what is happening? And so then I go to the bathroom. I don't even need to use the bathroom. It's just honestly the cleanest surface in the entire hotel room. And so I'm sitting on the toilet, like contemplating my life and like my career. Cause I thought I was successful, but clearly like I'm still dealing with dirty towels in like a broken hotel room and as i'm sitting there uh i hear this like hey and in my head i was like nah nah i don't accept this this isn't <laughs> happening right now you know as i as, and then i just sit there and i hear another like hey and i turn around and there's a hole in my bathroom wall there's like a hole to the other room in my bathroom wall and the guy is like saying, hey, and there's no good way to find out that there's a hole 
<laughs> in your hotel. Like, I don't know why he whispered. He might as well have been like, hey, there's a hole. Like, there's no reason <laughs> for you to whisper that the worst thing that could happen in this bathroom is happening, you know? <laughs> and so, like, I, like, I can't rem even remember what I said to him, but basically, um, I, like, leave the room, like, leave the room completely. Like, I don't care where I sleep tonight, but I'm not sleeping there. I do the show. The show is also not good. And then, uh, and then I get on a bus. I get on like a Greyhound bus, and uh, and head back to New York, which is a very long trip from Detroit. So it it was just like one of the most terrible, like just like road experiences I've had. You know what I mean? Like it was absolutely insane. That's ridiculous, man. I can't. You know, I've I I know that they exist, but fortunately i've never been in that circumstance and uh i hope to never be so where did do you where did you sleep uh i think i ended up sleeping i feel like it was like basically the like booker or somebody i was like hey can i sleep on your couch because like i can't do this you know what i mean like i was like i don't i don't this is this is bad. Like I like I told him the story, and I was like, "Oh man, bro, I can't do this." That's ridiculous, man. And this is at a level of like you know, as you perceive somewhat success, getting there. So, what advice would you give young comedians? Because I know a lot of people are out there trying, and they're putting in work, and and they want to get to a level. So, what advice would you have for them? Um, I think you just mainly uh, sort of curate what your definition of success is very, very early, right? So you just sort of sit down and you, you really write out the things that you want and not, not the things that you like see other people get, like the things that you specifically want for yourself because you also have to know your temperament, you have to know your ability and like you have to set, not necessarily a realistic because I feel like when people are realistic, they sort of undercut themselves but you do have to set an amount of time and an amount of work that both isn't going to drain you to the point where you're not even having fun anymore. Cause that actually does happen to a lot of full-time comics is once it's your job and there's pressure, all the fun can get sucked out of it. But I think you sit down, you write your goals and you stick to them and everything that happens along the way is gravy, you know? And like you, you have to, there's a certain like narcissism that comes with stand up specifically where you you even if you don't look that confident on stage or you don't have the best jokes just for you to get on stage means that you think people should pay attention to you for at least 5 minutes you know and i think that the the truth behind that when you embrace it and you're like this this idea is very funny to me and i'd like to share it with people and i think it's worth their time when you can say that in your own mind, I think that you can start to churn all the other things that breed you into becoming a more successful and more complete comic. Awesome. Yeah, that's really great advice. And I think just in general too, like just the simplicity of writing out your goals and also defining your level of success and what that is. And, you know, it's practical. How much are you willing to work for it? A lot of people have no idea how much work it is to do um, something that they're passionate about. Sometimes a lot of times people will be like, you know, how do you start a podcast? How do you become successful? It's like, what's your meaning of success? Like money, like doing for this for three years or whatever, like did it because I love it and I continue to do it because I love it. But people don't understand how much work is behind the scenes, how much time it takes. And you just got to enjoy it. You just, if you want to do it, you want to be a comedian, you want to be a podcast host, you want to be an entrepreneur, whatever it is, you better love it or else you're going to be, uh, you're going to fail at it at some point because there's going to be a hurdle that you're not willing to overcome. So it's, uh, it's incredibly practical knowledge. Um, what I want to ask you, man, I really enjoyed this time and, and, and all of your, uh, answers. I think that they were really great and it was a really, um, different experience. And I, and I like your, your frame of ref reference and your perspective, what is there anything that you wish that I had asked or that you wanted to share or talk about? Um, I, I guess just like there is a, mm, there's an ease with which like humor can slip out of everything, especially like in the climate that we're sort of like both creating and living in, you know, like we've, we've become, um, 
fully submerged in politics every day with everyone that we come in contact with or all of our media and everything. And I think that now people more than ever are getting polarized to the point where you only get so much time to win a person over. And then even when you win them over to, to sitting down and watching you or talking to you or anything, you start losing them as soon as you start sharing more of yourself. And I think that, um, one of the ways that we can sort of combat that is to look at the uh, sort of like ridiculousness that is everything in life, you know, like uh, I do think that there's a, there's a question to how you can, um, how you can approach humor as a person who isn't in love with it, that I think, I wish I had the answer to, but I think that, you know, I'm lucky enough that I get to surround myself with jokes every day um, at work and then surround myself with jokes at night with my friends doing stand up and then surround myself with jokes in my friends who get specials and, you know, go on to do really great things on the road and everything. And I think that in that way, I've been kind of shielded from some of the toxicity that's happening in the different circles of, uh, of like media and of politics. But I think that even if it's not stand up, even if it's not live comedy, even if it's, you know, not Netflix or something, I think that, you know, every person listening or watching should make a conscious effort to include as much humor as possible in their life. Because you don't, you, you don't only not know how long you have, you don't know how, things are made to be you know I, I think it's very easy to get caught up and sit there and wish another thing had happened like some people wish that with their career choices some people wish it with their partner some people wish it with the election you know but like to sit back and not accept the way the world is and find the humor in that because the acceptance sometimes feels like giving up which I wouldn't uh, suggest anyone do I would never want someone to give up on the thing that they believe in unless it's harming them I think that you accepting a thing is part of changing it if you don't like it. And I think humor allows us to, to do that by taking away some of the, uh, I, I'm trying to find the word, like you, you're, you're basically stripping an idea or a person of this pedestal that no one really deserves and no one really needs, you know, like, like pedestals don't do much except harm the person on them and the people looking up to them, you know? And, and I think that in trying to find humor and being a little bit lighter, you can have a better life that is more full of things other than just getting things done or um, trying to mold the world in the way that you see fit, you know? Yeah, man. I think you brought up a really good point. I think you brought up a, f a few good points. So the one of them is is when you're talking about being around work and, and what you're doing now is you're surrounded by comedy. You're surrounded by that environment. And when people will look at a, at a master of anything, you know, if you're going to train martial arts, if you want to get into entrepreneurship and business or music or comedy or whatever, you put yourself in an environment where you're surrounded by the best possible people that could be doing it and you're going to naturally get better and now that's your way of life so it's going to continue to move forward and you're going to get better and you're going to improve and you're going to learn a lot more as surrounding yourself with that environment so i think the environment we choose to have are super key for the people we want to be and what we want to learn um and also when you're talking about you know those those challenges in life like the dark things i i think about that a lot too because for me being on this road of whatever the heck I'm doing, I was really curious how the world worked. I didn't understand and I still don't understand why the hell do we have uh, starvation? Why are people starving to death right now? Instantly, I was just like, don't we have a whole bunch of millionaires that can just get together, you know, buy a whole bunch of rice? I'm sure you can get so much rice for like 10 mil, just like an absolutely ludicrous amount. Give those to the people who are starving to death, like they're dying because they don't have food in their mouth and solve that issue. What the F is going on? And so it leads down some dark roads and it's pretty depressing. Um, but when you were sharing your view of, of that type of challenge, what I was thinking about was like, 
when you, when you can bring humor to it, you're not saying it's not happening. You definitely know what's happening and you accept it. And that in itself is kind of one of those Zen lessons, you know, non-acceptance will create suffering. You're accepting what it is, but you almost um, demagnetize like the energy, just like the dark energy of what that is because you can't function. I relate this to martial arts and now you're a martial artist. So congratulations. If you go into a fight angry, you're probably going to get whooped. You know what I mean? You can't go into a fight with that energy. So if somebody's aggravating another person and they're emotionally off-centered, they're not in a position of power. It would be the same way if you're in a crisis situation. Something terrible is happening like uh, you know, um, a storm or a hurricane or something like that. It's the calm people or you know, those people trained to go in and remain calm. They are very much aware of what is happening. It's chaos. It's the storm. It's the fire. It's whatever. But they have to go in with an attitude that they are calm, that they are centered. And it's a little bit you know, to me, similar to what you were speaking about, except for it's a, it's a comedy lens. It's a way to like, you know, make acknowledgement of it, but not have it like, I can't function in life. I can't go to the, the grocery store. I'm too depressed. I'm too depressed to do anything because Timmy on social media called me a knob again. And you know, that, that does hurt people. So I'll just throw in a bonus question and, and uh, ask you, how do you, uh, what do you recommend for, for people and especially youth? I hope there's some kids that'll hear this question. Maybe I'll cut it out, but like developing, I don't know if a tougher skin is the best word, but people are mean and it hurts. Yeah. And now, you know, we're about the, I'm a little bit older than you, but you grow up a little bit on, on Facebook. I just missed that. High school was difficult enough being somewhat athletic and somewhat popular and being able to make friends. It was difficult enough with having all that for me. Then yeah. alone, maybe having a hard high school experience with mean people who can now put that on the internet for everyone else to like pop up with a whole bunch of things. So any suggestions for uh, just being okay with negative feedback? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard to ask a, a kid to have the acceptance of themselves at such an early age that's required for an adult to function. But I do think that, um, being self-assured from as young an age as possible and accepting of yourself that it's like, you know, I had to accept a long time ago, I'm not a tall guy, right? And like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, and I'm never gonna be a tall guy. And because I'm not a tall guy, I actually shouldn't get that muscular because then I'd just be a wide guy. And like that, that's a bit weird to look at. So then in my head, I was like, I, the person, that I wanted to be was shifting from this idea in my head to like the person in the mirror, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. like, the more I accepted myself, the more that I was like, you know what I like about myself, this thing that I already have, this other thing that I already do, this person that I can easily sort of shift myself into being, that's completely independent of how other people are. So of course, as you're growing up, you, you whether you know it or not, you take a couple things from people you like and don't like in terms of molding your personality. So some people have their uh, mom's temper and then their dad's love of this thing. Like you're having influences put on you. So to ask a, a person to fully just develop a thicker skin without any practice is going to be near impossible, but that practice comes just through life. Like, yes, there are bullies and yes, there are, uh, people who aren't going to find your best interest their priority but i do think that living is learning and that you will um develop that thing when you first of all take responsibility for the people in your life right so when we're kids we think that we're really good at making friends because when you're a kid you have a ton of friends turns out you weren't actually making friends in a way that are lifelong and you weren't making friends yourself you just had math class with lots of kids and then the kids that you were bombarded with became your friends because of proximity and then when you're an adult moving in the real world you learn how good you actually are at making friends you know and so that's another reason why it's tough for kids because a lot of your access is just who's around you and if the people around you aren't accepting you then you are going to have a rougher time than the people being accepted which is why people move to be a person that's acceptable versus the person who they are. I think that that thicker skin comes from experience. 
and it comes from taking responsibility for the things you can control. Like, uh, it's very easy for a person who didn't grow up with the things that we grew up with, like Facebook and stuff, to say, just turn it off. I understand that it's a facet of your personality and it's a part of your social fabric, but there is a level to which you turn things off. Because even as someone who is, you know, I'm not famous by any means, but like I, I control how many Facebook messages I sit back and read during a day or how many Instagram DMs I, I read through during a day. And if I really live on there, and let it become a part of my um, sort of like fabric as a like individual, I can easily be susceptible to taking it too seriously and taking the words of the person too seriously. Whereas if it's a thing that I get on for the necessity of sharing with people who want to hear from me, then yeah, someone can DM me something horrible. And then they did that and it happened and it's over, you know? Um, when you're younger, you, you see the world, you've, you're likely to not have seen as much of the world. So your world is actually very small, but to you, it's very big, right? So let's say you grow up in a small town, that town is the entire earth to you. So then someone saying something to you or sending you something, uh, it is a bigger deal for a kid than it is for an adult. And I don't, I wouldn't know how to handle it if I were growing up right now, if I'm 13 or something. But I do know that what I've learned is that you also accepting responsibility for how much you let the toxicity into your life will um, sort of breed a different result than if you're like, this thing keeps happening to me. Because it is happening to you, but what are you going to do about it, you know? Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, you, you shared a lot of really important points there. And one of the things that you kind of made me think about is, you know, it's more important how you think about yourself and, and teaching people, even adults, like the scars from childhood and, and high school, they go into adulthood. Some of the people that I coach or work with, you know, successful entrepreneurs or athletes or whatever, they might be sabotaging and coming in second place from something that happened in high school or childhood. And it really, you know, as we're moving along, this world is so external, the importance becomes on that relationship with yourself, that internal dialogue, that understanding of who you are has got to trump all of the stuff happening out there. It's just the younger generation has a lot more um, external influence than we did. And then you as a comedian and, uh, you know, getting to the point of, of known and, and, and celebrity or whatever you want to call it. And same with, you know, me, like I would be way less down the line, but getting all like the YouTube comments, some, most are good, but some of them are not good. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm like, man, sometimes it's just upsetting. And I was like, you would never say that to my face. And if you did, and when I read it, I'm like, if you said that to my face, I would probably want to deck you, but I know it doesn't ha it doesn't happen to my face. It's, you know, that happens, hasn't happened in forever. And if it did, I would probably just be nice to them and be like, what's, what's wrong with you? Why? What's, you know, I, we can go our separate ways. You can not like me. And that's okay. And I'll just go over here um, because I could probably remedy the situation somehow through just a normal conversation. So um, developing a really strong relationship with yourself and how you think about yourself and how you um, navigate the external influences is extremely important. So what I want to ask as well um, is, and when you're talking about the, the shortest, you know, being the shortest line, I'm like recalling the complex school gives you, but why do they have to measure everything from shortest to tallest? You know, I'm in like grade yeah. one and it's all my, my male friends, you know what I mean? And then, yeah. then I'm going down the line and then now it's the girls. And then I'm going to the end of the line and the girls I was like, this is not good. This is not why, why does every activity we have we must we measure from shortest to tallest because this is reaffirming the thing that is upsetting me. And I just, yeah. <laughs> that, that trauma come back, man, me and you would just be probably side by side, yeah. sad and short, but as adults, it's way better because fitting in, in airplanes and small butt buses in Southeast Asia is amazing. And my yeah. tall friends are now suffering. So, you know, yeah. we got that now. Uh, <laughs> um, so what I wanted to ask you, um, I had written down here. Oh yeah. What for you now? So I, again, I appreciate your time and coming on and everything you've shared. What for you, you're on the rise, you know, you you've, you've achieved some success, um, by a lot of people's standards, huge success, 
by mine, congratulations. You're doing amazing. If you could draw out the dream for yourself and, and make it as big as possible, what would you be doing? How would you be experiencing life five or 10 years from now? And then how would you be like interacting your, with your environment? How would you uh, give back and operate? Uh, I mean, I think that the, the two of the main goals right now is to um, really get further along in comedy and in the way that I do it, in the impact that it has and the uh, scope of people that I can reach. And then to understand money in a way that is deeper than just the like sort of face value external. So I think, you know, five, 10 years from now, I'm, I'm touring where I want to tour to see the parts of the world that I'd like to see because I'll have fans there. And I'm learning to move money in a way that I can help shift, um, shift the balance a bit, if that makes sense. So the same thing that you said about like the millionaires with the rice and the poor people and everything, the structures that we have set up, the way that they're set up, how government works and how a, a, you know, a municipality runs, those things are not necessarily set up for charity. It's actually insane. Like, uh, for instance, across the country in the U.S. right now, we have school lunch debt where basically the school has to give you a meal. Um, but you do buy lunch, right? So, so we have these two opposed things where you pay your two twenty-five to get lunch, and then the school gives you a lunch that's like subsidized by the government. Well, you can let a kid keep eating on the their lunch card or whatever, but if they don't have money for lunch, you still feed them, but the debt racks up. So now you actually have kids that are in debt as like teenagers um in debt to the school to eat lunch and if if their lunch debt is high enough they can't walk at graduation they like there's all these penalties so you're teaching them how to be poor very young you know and and how to not get out of it because the kid doesn't have a job so they don't earn money so they don't have the means to get themselves out of the lunch debt because it works almost the same way as being homeless to a certain degree because you'd have to pay all of this money that you don't have plus today's lunch to at least be at zero, you know? So structures like that aren't even set up for the charity because there was a woman in one particular county that said, hey, I will pay off the school's lunch debt. And I mean, lots of people have done this before. Even um, Philando Castile's wife paid off the school lunch debt in their community and I think it was, you know, maybe like $525 or something. It was actually something relatively low for the amount of kids that had, that were in this sort of trouble. Um, but when you try to fix that problem, there are counties that actually won't take the charity of let's just pay it off because there's so many kids that are about to default. So the entire system is broken, you know? And so to understand money and to understand how something has to use money to work in a better way, I would be able to fix that system without just paying off a thing for a Band-Aid, you know? Like there was that, uh, there was that speaker uh, just a couple months ago that paid off everyone's student loan debt at their graduation, right? And that's an amazing thing. And it's a heartwarming story. And it's an incredible thing that he did. And it's technically what people would say billionaires should be doing with their money. But we have to ask the question why he had to pay off so much debt. He's not actually fixing the problem. And we're not actually fixing the problem by just clapping for this thing that happened. And so the more that I learn about money and the more that I can apply it to my life and to the structures around my life, I'll be able to apply it to the structures around other people and actually solve problems for good and not just band-aids for four years, you know? Because this, this billionaire did a lot of good things in that all these people will be starting off and they actually will be closer to their parents' um, uh, financial structure. Because our parents didn't graduate with very much student loan debt. So then they paid it off pretty quickly, early 20s. So then they could move on to working to buy a house or working to um, make investments that people that are, that are drowned in student loan debt can't actually do right now. And I think that um, as I sort of pick issues and as I acquire money, 
knowing exactly what to do with it for the benefit of my family and for the benefit of the people um, in my community and in communities I have nothing to do with, knowing how to fix things fixes things, it, it, as, as silly as that might sound. There, as, as much as we sort of have learned to um, like abhor billionaires and millionaires, there was a time when JP Morgan, when he was still alive, he stopped an entire depression. He, he sat down with, um, a, it might've been Roosevelt's like treasury cabinet and was like, you need to do this and this and this and you'll be fine, at least for five years. And the fact that one person could do that, not just with his money, but with his mind, what is, is absolutely incredible. And that's actually what saves people's lives and what changes systems and not just making a bunch of money so I can give a bunch of money away, you know? And, and, and even though that's something I plan on doing, it's not, it's not actually the way to fix problems because you're still leaving the broken system behind you. Yeah, man, I, I absolutely couldn't agree more. And we could do a whole nother podcast just on the broken systems of the world. And, and education is one of them and, and money and the way it's used is, an, is another and those things need to be remedied. And it's you're right, like uh, giving money, it can help an individual, but we need to be looking at uh, systems and that can be done in community. So you with others with an understanding of how that system works, so we can build something that is better that is more sustainable. And I think that is a really beautiful sentiment. So uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and everything you're sharing. Thanks for yeah. um, all your work, man. And, and uh, is there anything else that you want to leave the listeners with? And where can people find more about you? Um, so, you know, thank you so much for having me, by the way. This is like really cool. And, and I love conversations like this. So I'd love to come back anytime that you can have me. Uh, if you're trying to check out my stuff on Instagram, I'm Josh Johnson Comedy. On Facebook, I'm Josh J Comedy. On Twitter, I'm just Josh Johnson. We finally did it. We finally got one, you know? <laughs> um, but I'm going to be touring with Trevor Noah for the rest of the year. Um, I'm going to be posting my dates to my shows on my Instagram and my Facebook. And then if you just type in Josh Johnson Comedy to YouTube, you're going to find clips on Comedy Central stand-up. You're going to find clips from Jimmy Fallon, Conan, and uh, lots of other little shows. I've done some Canadian shows and everything like that. So definitely just hit me up. Um, I'm always down to talk to people. If anyone wants to reach out, just DM. I promise I'll get to it eventually. Uh, and I just love talking to people and I love that you have me on and let me share my thoughts. I appreciate you, man. Awesome, dude. Well, yeah, man, I really appreciate your view. And, and again, that last answer was just absolutely wonderful, man. We need a generation of people thinking like that, you know, for other people and, and what we can do to improve not only our own lives, our families' lives and communities' lives. So um, I invite everybody to check out uh, your Spotify. Was it a CD? Put CDs on Spotify? Uh, yeah, so basically yeah, <laughs> the it's album awesome. is called I Like You and it's a uh, it's where you, wherever you listen to things. It's on Tidal, <laughs> iTunes, Spotify, Pandora. Just type in Josh Johnson, I like you, and the album will come up. Yeah, man, it's definitely worth the listen. And it's such a, you know, people always on the podcast and, and even in, you know, if I'm doing a talk or training, they'll say like, how do you shift your vibe, quote unquote? You know what I mean? You're in a funky mood. Comedy I, I honestly, man, it is just now that I'm really sinking in that I very rarely use it as a suggestion. Sometimes it's on the top of my mind, but now I'm realizing the depth of just throwing on those CDs because um, there's, it's really, if you have like a list of comedians you like and they'll have a CD and you just pop something on, um, it will shift you out of a crappy mental attitude into something else and that will give you opportunity to change your situation so um i invite people to go check that out i give you a listen and a follow but uh, thanks so much for coming on the show man we'll definitely get you back and um just appreciate everything you're up to thank you so much man i appreciate it yeah my pleasure man thanks everybody for watching see you in the next one